doing in my chair? You know, I've been here for a few weeks. Just because you walk back into the studio after a month doesn't mean you get to have your chair back, Brett. Yes, it does. Are and you... I just walked in. I just took it. No, no. This isn't. This isn't gonna happen like this, Brett. I'm not. I'm not okay with it. Why do I get to host, man? James, do you even want to host? Don't even get into this, okay? I'll host. Don't do even you? get into I'll this. Host. I'm. Don't, Brett. Don't. Don't remove me from this chair. I'll remove you from this podcast. This is, no, the, the whole get podcast. out of here. No, James and I can run this on our, am all I gonna, on our own. Am I gonna have to choke a host? All right, ladies and gentlemen, our wonderful Audible viewers, thank you for joining episode forty-eight of the Get Around Podcast. Of course, that little uh, act was just that. This isn't an act. Homage you to Rod and, chair to Rod and Mario. Brett. Okay, it's an it's an act for me because I'm here and I'm back in the host chair. I'm Brett Summers, joined by James Cook. Jake Atnip in the Record Eagle Get Around Podcast Studios, brought to you by Jimmy John's. And, of course, we had our little own spat. In reverence to the Mario Mpemba and Rod Allen dispute in the Tigers booth, during which they had a minute plus of dead air as both gentlemen exited the room and one proceeded to put the other in a chokehold. Jake's just oh, lucky. I, Jake's allegedly, just, Jake's just lucky yes. I didn't put him in a chokehold. Yes. He'd be asleep. Rod Allen allegedly did that. Uh, you know, everything's been denied, and Fox Sports Detroit's doing a pretty good job of hush, m- hush. hushing it down. But they've already separated the broadcasters. I'm sure they won't be the same booth. They'll probably never be in the same booth again. And uh, they've been mixing on air and on radio and personalities to make up for the difference. But uh, well, you know what I really like is that we actually have some chemistry in this room, and <laughs> we probably have better chemistry than than those two guys do. I can't believe they've made it this many years together. Yeah. Well, hopefully we don't ever have to close ranks like that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That that's when things get sticky. I guess physical altercations on the job are the way to go. <laughs> HR would disagree. All jokes aside. We're pretty excited about this week. It is Patriot Week, and getting the getting the week started off on the right foot with a podcast that's going to have a lot coming from the build-up to this game. Of course, we've got our regular bulletin board. Aside from Patriot Week, the Red Wings are in town again. The Prospects Tournament's been going on, and Jake and James have been covering that while I've been out of the office. This is my more or less my official return to regular Record Eagle duty, so it's good to be back. Uh, but we'll have George Malik joining the podcast later on. He covers the Red Wings for the Malik Report. Uh, if you're not familiar, he sat down with us to talk about a lot of different things regarding the Red Wings, and we'll get into that a little later. Of course, we'll have the Players of the Week and our Get Around Hall of Fame induction, and then the Trifecta, which we will wrap up the show getting back onto the Patriot Week side of things. Without further ado... Let's check the heartbeat of the sports world and get into the pulse. Friday is the seventh annual Patriot game, which of course started back in 2012 at the behest of then Traverse City West head coach Tim Moore after one of his former Kingsley players, Justin Hansen, was killed in action in Afghanistan, and the event has grown by leaps and bounds over the last several years. It's always a sellout, always standing room only, and of course one of the best games to cover all season long, and I'm not just talking for us here at the Record Eagle. I would say that's definitely, you'd be hard-pressed to find another game uh, in the state that exceeds that kind of magnitude. Thurlby Field is absolutely packed, and, you know, all the pageantry and uh, salute to military service that happens at that game is pretty phenomenal. Jake, you have not had the pleasure of 
experiencing that, but that's about to change on Friday. How? I mean, we're going to talk to some players, coaches. We'll have some interviews with them later on in this podcast from the first day of practice this week to hear how excited they are. How excited are you to witness this? Well, you know, honestly, I'm I'm pretty pumped up. I was saying to James just earlier today, I I don't think that there is another there's a higher attendance at a high school football game in the state of Michigan at any point during the year. You know, I think this is the biggest football game attendance wise and you know, even if you just talk about rivalry wise, you could even put that up in the top of the upper echelon in the whole state of Michigan. I mean, even in state championship games, you're not getting more than 2,000 people traveling down, you know, for even the biggest game of the year. So having 10,000 people pack Thurlby and, you know, I know it's going to be split 50-50. It's not like it's going to be uh, a home game for one. It's, it's just an interesting dynamic. They share the field. You know, they're, they're, both schools are equidistant from the field. Uh, they're they're going to... You know, I know everybody's going to show out. They're selling T-shirts throughout the whole community at every gas station and car dealership up and down the block. And I know from the moment that I stepped foot here, that even in the spring season, people were already talking about the Patriot game. You know, when you talk about the Traverse City West, Traverse City Central rivalry and baseball or softball or, you know, even getting across country, people bring up just the intensity of the Patriot game and how much it means to the community to kind of pit these guys against each other for such a good cause and to raise awareness for what is actually going on, you know, and really honor um, all the, you know, area veterans and patriots that have, you know, done so much for this country. And I think it's a great, I, I'm really excited because it's obviously a great community event for everybody to come together and celebrate something that's amazing and with, you know, with veterans, with football, with high schools, with, with rivalries. So I personally, you know, me and you both get to go to the game and kind of tell different sides of the story. So I think it's, it's a really cool opportunity to do something that you can't do anywhere else in the state of Michigan. Well, the, the crazy thing is, too, it's as great as all of that is, it pretty much always lends itself to a phenomenal football game. James, you've been here since the very beginning of the Patriot game. You've seen more or less each of these contests and the crazy things that have happened. I mean, in the first six renditions, you've got an average margin of victory of 5.6 points. And I think the last two years, it was only two points, including an overtime win for Traverse City Central. And it just always seems to be the best game of the year, even if you stripped all the other stuff away from it. it, it it's been, I mean, I know we kind of harped on this last year when we were doing this podcast about the Patriot game, but it, it's, it's just been a close game consistently. Every year since 2012, it's been decided by less than a touchdown and often three points or less. No matter how good or bad one team may be or the seemingly difference of talent level in one or the other coming into this game, you know, that just continues. I mean, last year's games, yeah, were two points in the regular season game and three points in the, the playoff game, the second time they've ever met in the playoffs. And the year before that, I think they were two and one. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah, since that 42-28 to 28 win by Central in 2012, everything has been seven points or less. And it's just kind of crazy how consistently close these two teams have been. Even coming into this year's game, you know, where looking at their first three games of the season, you know, maybe it looks like there's a bit of a gap between these two teams. But then when they get on the field on Friday night, that gap is never that big. No, there's, uh, you know, all these kids know each other. They, you know, may be friends off the field. But there's no doubt that come Friday night, there's not going to be anything on one player's mind more than beating the guy in front of them and making sure their team comes away with the win. And I actually I missed last year's Patriot game, so I'm pretty stoked to get back to Thurlby for this one this time around. 
And, and you know, one big thing, like I, I even forgot to mention, you know, this is like, they're both of their first big North Conference game. You know, yeah, it's, in, a, week, it's huge and it's week four. For, for how you start out the conference. Yeah. West being the defending Big North champs. Uh, Central having been champs the previous couple of years, looking to get back on top. I talked about that in my camp story, and maybe even on a previous podcast, how that really has not sat well with Central uh, since last year, losing the Big North crown to the Titans. So I have no doubt that there are so many obvious reasons this game has been circled on the calendar since the time it came out, which, by the way, it's week four this year. It's been week three the last several years, so that's a little bit of a change-up. I think maybe Central's fans didn't quite realize that a couple weeks ago when Central won at home because they started <laughs> chanting, we want West a week too early. But uh, everybody is excited to be out of Thoroughby on Friday. Is there still free Buffalo Wild Wings, even though it's going to be really busy? Shh. Don't be supposed to know about that, Jake. You just cut that shit. I just need to know. <laughs> I just need to know, all right? Yes. Yes, there will be lunch provided. All right, just got to get there make it nice and early. Another interesting scheduling aspect of this game is the fact that it's going to be the first Friday game that Thoroughby Field has hosted this year. I'm not exactly sure how that all worked out. That seems extremely weird to have not had a game there through three weeks of the season, but that's what happened. So I'm sure a lot of the Traverse City community is excited to get out there too because I mean, everybody misses their Friday night lights. That's right. That's right. I've had multiple people already ask me this year, like, hey, is there a game at Thrillby this Friday? Nope. Nope. Both on the road, or they both played on Thursday. Or... And it's normally there's a game at Thrillby every Friday, or close to every Typically, Friday. Yeah, yeah, between the three schools and yeah. St. Francis, too. And even St. Francis has their, their first, well, yeah, their first game at Thrillby this year on a Saturday night. So that's because the Patriot game was taken on uh, the same Friday. You know, they played Kingsley Saturday, which is another really big game this week. So. I guess if they if they were really trying to hype up football at Thurlby for the 2018 football season, they might have picked a good weekend, a good back-to-back uh, two matchups for people to go out and enjoy some football. Yeah, both teams making their basically their home debut. Yeah, sort of on a Friday night. Yeah, you know, I think I think Friday nights get a lot more people in attendance than than the Thursday games. Even though we really enjoy having the Thursday games because it allows us to cover more games. But uh, just having the Friday night game, I you know, think you're going to have a lot of people being able to make it out to their first Central and or West game on this Friday. Let's break this matchup down a little bit. I know we've got several days to do that. We've each only, Jake being the beat writer for Traverse City West, I'm the beat writer for Traverse City Central, and we've each only seen our respective team play one time this season, two on the road for each team, one at Thurlby. Of course, West 1-2, and two, Central 3-0. and oh. We just talked about how the rivalry thing kind of throws records out the window. What, what's sort of your takeaway from these first three games of the season for West, even though only seeing them once yeah. but talking to Coach Vaughn uh, well, on the phone? So Traverse City West has had the same type of game all year. I know we got to see them in their opening game against Midland, and they they have very stellar defense. You know they've held their opponents under fifteen points per game in every one of these matchups, but they've lost two of them because their offense has not been able to get anything punched into the end zone. And even in that first game, they had a few issues here and there on offense. But I think what it was was them being able to have big plays made on defense to set up easy scores for their offense. Same thing happened in last week's game when they traveled down to hold. They had blocked a punt on the 25 or got a hand on a punt that was a bad snap and didn't really get a good uh, good play on it, and they scored from the 25-yard line, and that was the only drive in which they scored. And they even had a short field a few times, but it's been tough for their offense to really get going. Uh, but, you know, according to Coach Vaughn, he tells me it's 
it's kind of on him. He doesn't think that he's done what he's had to do to change his offense and teach the kids exactly what he expects out of the offense and the changes that he's made. But he's very proud of the defense, and you know, from what I see, like I said, 15 points or less in three games against three Division One schools. You know, a couple of them are pretty good, and you know, it's their offensive hasn't has been able to do anything against Traverse City West defense, and I think that's what's really cool about this matchup is we've kind of seen Central's offense go off the rails and score 40, 40 points here and there, and you know, it's not that their defense isn't very good as well, but I think the pitting of Traverse City Central's offense versus Traverse City West defense is going to be really interesting, and you know, we'll see if their uh, their offense is able to keep up. So, and and it's interesting with West. You know, the I think that they've been putting they've been putting drives together. They just haven't been finishing them. Exactly. So you know, it's not like you know if you're losing these close games and you're getting pushed around is is one thing. But if you're if you're just doing it because you know maybe there's a penalty here it or there, seems like it's mistakes. or there's this or there's a fumble here or there, those are correctable things. It's not like they're getting pushed around. Exactly. It's, so it's a complete. I think that makes a big difference. And that's what that's what Baum's talking about is that he knows that they have what it takes to do it. It's just he's not putting his players in the right spot to make the right plays. Is what he's telling me. You know, they had a first and seven on the seven, and they got stuffed for mm. you know four and out. First and eight on the eight, they got stuffed four and out. They fumbled on the two yard line, threw an interception inside the twenty, and you know that's four scoring drives in a fourteen to seven game that they weren't able to finish. They didn't even get a kickoff because. Um, of two turnovers and then a couple where they were down a touchdown and they needed to try to score that six points instead of hit a three, and they just couldn't do it. So, like you said, I don't think it's anything knocking, you know, what West is capable of. I just don't think they've been able to capitalize yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be a big thing for the Titans if they can learn from those mistakes. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say if they don't learn from those mistakes heading into this Week 4 matchup that they will lose to Central on Friday night. I think kind of an interesting juxtaposition between those these two teams is West is sort of in a situation where it still needs to find that that belief or that that knowledge that even when things aren't going perfectly well that they're going to win the game and that's something that's kind of been a staple for Traverse City Central since Eric Sugars took over the program uh, he's now in his fourth year and we've seen it time and time again now granted the Trojans haven't won every single contest they've ever played but it never seems to matter how, how much they get down, how much they get up, they always think they're going to win. And we got our first sort of taste of that of this season with Central in their Week 3 win over South Lion East. I think they were trailing late in that one, end up pulling it out 14-10 to against a team that was 2-0 and and had outscored its opponents like 80-0 to over the first two weeks of the season. So to come away with that type of road win, I have no doubt in my mind that Central's confidence is pretty high and probably a little higher than West's right now. So I think that's that's going to be a critical factor in the game if, if West can find that belief. And, I mean, I think the rivalry will probably help that because you always want to think you can beat your rivals. Oh, yeah. Everybody everybody I've talked to, I mean, when I, when I talked to Vaughn, you know, the first thing I said is, like, well, I mean, now, now what do you guys think about Patriot Week? You're like, we don't need even an ounce of extra motivation. We, nobody even has to tell us that it's Patriot Week. They could just, like, feel it in their bones that, like, it's coming up. And there's, they, don't, they don't need extra motivation because this rivalry game is what pumps them up at the early part of the season. When, when I was talking to Eric Sugars after the game on Friday, the South Lion East game, you know, he was saying that this kind of game, that having a close game like that against a, a really good opponent was just a great way to get ready for the, for the Patriot game. It was a great way to go into it. Their first two games of the season – were blowouts. They were forty-four to nothing, thirty-five to seven. You know, they were just killing teams. And to have this, 
this kind of game, a close game where not necessarily like a wake-up call, but something where you are playing meaningful second halves is a, is a great way to go into you know, the Patriot game, you know, and, and, you know, he said they had, they had problems in the first half and, and then they were able to change things around and, and get things going in the second half. And, and that bodes well. Well, and the way that the Trojans have been playing on both sides of the ball, that too bodes well because through three games, they've only given up 17 total points and offensively, they know what their identity is. Their identity is Tobin Schwanke, whether it be through the air or on the ground, he's led them now for three weeks and He's, I mean, he's, I don't want to say he's carrying the team, but he kind of is. <laughs> he's, uh, he's where they, where they look to, to get their offense, to move the ball, to, to move the chains for him to make the right decisions. And, you know, being a, a three-year starting varsity quarterback certainly gives him probably a little more confidence in being able to do those things. But, you know, they're, they're following Schwanke and, and they're following their coach, Eric Sugars, and, I mean, they, I don't know that they could have asked for a much better start three weeks into the season. I, d- I don't think so either. I know we talked just last week, and one of the surprising parts that Sugar said was, you know, he saw flash- flashes in that, that close game from other parts of the field that he hadn't seen in the first two blowout types of game from his special teams, from his defense, that really made him more confident going into this Patriot game. Because even, you know, Sugar's and Central coming in up 3-0, or three and zero, they they don't care. They have to take Traverse City West as seriously as any other opponent. You know who they've played, if not more seriously, because they know the stakes that are you know at hand for this game. And you know, Sugar saw good things out of that week three close game that I think will translate into this game uh, coming against West. But it really is about preparation at this point. They think they've only given up one offensive touchdown to their opponent so far this season because the. The South Lions touchdown was a kick return. Yep. Tobin Schwanke put him up seven to three with a touchdown run, and then they brought back the next kickoff return, brought that back, got ahead, and then Central was able to take the lead again on another Schwanke touchdown run in the fourth quarter. I can't wait for Friday. This is always kind of a fun week for us because we had to practice a little more than usual. We get a couple stories leading into the game, which makes this week fun. Helps build the the excitement around the game. And our, part of our job is to build the hype too, you know, because I'm, I'm hyped. That's what I mean. I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel it and it, it translates out onto the paper and I, even into these podcasts, you know, I, I can tell even we're hyped about going to this game and just getting to sit down next to each other and do some reporting, you know, like actually, actually tell the story of this game and we got a whole week to do it, which is really cool. Yeah, Jake and I headed to practice today. Of course, him with West, myself at Central. We talked to coaches and players and we'll just listen to a few sound bites from practice. Traverse City West's Odin Safardini on playing rival Traverse City Central. Well, I I know some of the guys on the team, like personally, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Sometimes we're nice outside the game, but once we get inside that game, those friendships go away, and it just comes out the rivalry. Traverse City West coach Greg Vaughn on what it takes to win the Patriot game. You go back and it's not necessarily trick plays that win these games, yeah. and it, it really isn't. It's grinded it, out. It's grinded yeah. out, and there's a there's a break here or there. Um, you know, there's a coverage breakage, or there's you know a guy trips. You know, yeah. it's more of those sorts of things yeah. than it is. Hey, you know, we had a flea flicker pass or hail mary or something like that. So, um, you know, it's it's a great 
environment and, and event that we're going to be part of, and it's a great team that we get the chance to go against, you know, and prove ourselves. And that's what we've done the last three weeks is try to prove ourselves, and we get another opportunity this week. Okay. Traverse City Central's Tobin Schwanicki on what it means to play in his third and final Patriot game. Crazy for one, that's already been <clears throat> three times now. I mean, coming this Friday, not going to take it for granted, I'll tell you that much. I mean, you know, all of us could agree we work for this game 365 days out of the year, so we're definitely looking forward to it. Schwanicki on what it means to play for the veterans in the Patriot game. The, the Patriot game and honoring the veterans, and that's the biggest thing. Playing for, I mean, the real heroes of our country and all that. So, and then to be able to play in front of that many people in a high school game, it doesn't come too often. So, you really want to take that opportunity and seize it the best you can. Traverse City Central coach Eric Sugars on trying not to add extra pressure to an already hyped event. When you approach this game and you approach your crosstown rival, I mean, there's enough there by other people, everybody on the outside of our team, there's enough there to make it, to, to feel um, kind of the intensity of it and how important it is. So we try not to add to it, to be honest. We try not to even put anything else on it. Yes, what we say is it's our first conference game. You know, mm -hmm. It's our first conference game, and, well, if you want to win a conference, you got to beat your conference opponents, and that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, Week four... You know, that's our first conference game, so we're trying to be 1-0 in conference, and it happens to be our crosstown rival, and that's just the way it's been. Those thoughts from practice today brought to you by Jimmy John's, two locations in Traverse City. Freaky Fresh, Freaky Fast, Jimmy John's, Freak Yeah. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Traverse City Central and Traverse City West opening up practice to Jake and myself today. It was fun to get out there and get this week started but uh, we'll take a, a moment now to transition to just a couple of items that popped up over the course of the last week in this week's bulletin board. Perhaps the biggest item on that list is Traverse City Central Volleyball topping Traverse City West in a sweep. So maybe not Patriot Week itself, but a, a good prelude into what to expect between these schools over the course of the year. But, I mean, this was a huge volleyball match in the sense that it's been at least eight years since the Trojans beat the Titans in volleyball, and then for it to be, be a sweep on top of it, that's crazy. Jake, you had the opportunity to talk to Coach Jen Wright of Traverse City Central after that game. How pumped was she? Yeah, I talked to her. It took a couple hours to get a hold of her after the game. You know, I know that they spent some time together. Celebrating. Exactly. They, they <laughs> did. They co Coach told me, you know, Coach Wright told me they did spend some time together afterwards. She was really, really proud of them, especially, like you said, it's been over eight years since they beat them, let alone in such a dominating fashion. I know Coach Wright told me that, you know, at the end of the day, Traverse City Central's team is just more experienced. It's not that they didn't expect to beat Traverse City West. It's just that it's been so long, and, it, you know, people kind of give them that that type of uh, slack for not, not being able to do it over the last few years. But with the, with the talent that she has, she's happy uh, that they pulled out on top. She thinks that they were supposed to, uh, but they were still extremely, extremely um, proud of themselves to be able to say that they, they were the first ones and basically two full um, senior classes worth of volleyball players to be able to say they even beat their rivals. So they're pretty pumped about that. Well, when you go that long without beating your rival, I mean, you, you almost forget that you can beat them. So for, I mean, even if the, you know, that wave of experience has kind of transitioned a little bit between the two schools, that's, that's still kind of a big mental hurdle to overcome because you look at, you know, even, even the seniors on this year's team, I mean, they were 
what sixth grade, fifth, sixth grade, the, maybe the last yeah. the last time Central beat West. So I mean, maybe they weren't even paying that close of attention to to varsity volleyball at that point. I don't know, but that's a that's a pretty big statement for Central, and uh, maybe shakes up you know how the Big North volleyball landscape has been uh, the last several years. Obviously, with West and Cadillac kind of being the the outstanding teams over the last few years. James, what's your takeaway from that result? Well, like you were talking about, you know, those those players being, you know, in elementary school essentially the last time. I mean, that's a long time of you being involved with this school and seeing only this school win. You know, it only you know West always wins this this game. You know, for as long as you can remember for these kids. So yeah, to break through and to get that win, you know, is you know it's something huge. I mean, it's you know we've heard like Jerry Andrews talking about the the Glen Lake St. Francis rivalry and not saying it's not really a rivalry until we beat them and. You know, so this I think adds a lot more back into the Central West volleyball rivalry. The one thing that sticks out to me from this as well is, you know, it, it being Jen Wright's first year as a head coach at Central, I would think that helps get some buy in from her players, from those around the program. You know, not to say they weren't confident in the hire, but you bring on a new coach and you you may think you know what you're getting or, or what what to expect early on, but until those results start to come in, there's always a little bit of uncertainty. And you beat a rival that you haven't beat in the better part of a decade. That goes a long way into establishing your credibility. So for her to do that in her first season, leading Central Volleyball, uh, is you know good for her as well and going it, forward. And it's not even just the first season. You know we're still in the first three three four weeks of the the volleyball season here. So. I think it's a good springboard just for momentum for the team in general, just to get get that under their belt, you know, after about 10 or 12 games in. Another team deserving of a shout-out is Elk Rapids Soccer. They're off to a great start this season. They're 9-3-2, and two, and they just headed out to a weekend tournament in Williamston. Yep, the Williamston Showcase. Against a bunch of Division One opponents, highly ranked Division One opponents, and they fared incredibly well. They beat Jackson Lumen Christie. They beat Detroit Country Day. They also tied Williamston. Uh, in regulation, they did lose in a shootout, but they were still able to advance to the championship game. They they did end up losing that one four to zero, but still, that's a that's an incredible run uh, for Elk Rapids soccer and off to a great start. Jake, you talked to head coach Nate Plum after that. What's he feeling about his group right now? Well, first the first that has to be mentioned is their goaltender Ethan Pike. You know, every time I talk to Coach Plum, he tells me Ethan saved the game. He's he did a heck of a job. Uh, making sure that literally nothing got past him. And uh, there was a couple of those games just during the Williamson Showcase. He had seven saves, got a shutout, uh, something like that, where he, he shut out Detroit Country Day. He shut out uh, he shut out Detroit Country Day. He shut out Jackson Lumen Christie. He shut out Williamston in regulation, but they basically just weren't able to keep up in the shootout. You know, he didn't get any saves, but the other te- his teammates just weren't able to score in the shootout. So th- three shutouts, shutouts in regulation, and then they played Grozeal, who... That's a lot of minutes without exactly. allowing a ball in the net. Exactly. And uh, he, uh, he they played Grozeal, and they he ended up giving up uh, four goals. They lost 4-0 to zero in the final, but Coach Nate Plum told me that's why they go down there to those tournaments, to the Williamson Showcases, because they play these bigger schools who are supposed to be a lot better than them and who are supposed to kind of whoop on them or just give them this good experience. And they went down there and they showed out. And he was happy with getting to the final and playing Williamston even so close. Williamston has been ranked really highly in soccer over the last few years. They you know, always have these tournaments and showcases down at their complex. And they bring teams from all over the state. I mean, Grozeal's from southeast Michigan. 
and you know Jackson Lumen Christie just in the south south southwest part of the state. So these are a bunch of big schools coming to play. So you know that this was a a pretty uh, a pretty highly touted showcase. And you know uh, Finn Husband showed up for Elk Rapids a couple times during that tournament, and even showing up last week. Elk Rapids, even if we just backdate a little bit. Uh, James, I'm, I'm not sure who it was, but they won 10-0, to was it last Thursday, against, uh, who was it? Kalkaska, I think it was. Yeah, but 10 goals. In, you in know, a half. That's in yeah, a half. Before the first half. So. <laughs> and nobody scored more than two. Yeah, and it was spread across the entire team. So they've definitely been getting uh, a lot of production from, you know, Josh Vanderveer, the guy you talked about in our fall preview or fall tab section, the playbook, and... Uh, people have been scoring left and right, and like I said, Ethan Pike has done a great job of keeping them in even the close one to zero games. So I know that Nate Plum's very, very excited with a nine three and two record to start off the year. Traverse City Christian soccer may not have had the best week overall in terms of results. Uh, they had uh, a loss to a very good Manistee team, and then a tie against Buckley, whose only loss so far has been to Leland. But James, you were out at one of their games last week and got to catch up with Sabres head coach Ron Christie, who, and he's dealing with uh, some, something pretty major uh, after a, a bit of a mishap this summer. What you, would you find out from Ron? Yeah, I was out at that game against Manistee, which uh, Manistee ended up pulling out that game, I think, 4-2. to two. But Manistee's record is really good this season, too. So Manistee looked like a pretty legit team. Um, but uh, Ron Christie was coaching the whole game from sitting on a bar stool on the sideline um, with crutches. And afterwards, I asked him, uh, you know, what was going on. He's got this Hold huge... on, time out. If you're squeamish, you might want to plug your ears just for a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's wearing this. He has this big plastic thing that goes all the way around his, you know, like lower part of his... Uh, torso. Torso, yeah, basically yeah. his hips, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then down his left leg. You know, it's like all those white plastic things. And so I asked him, you know, what was going on. And he said, uh, well, I had a little water skiing accident over the summer. And, uh, you know, completely ripped the hamstring right off the bone. Yeah. <laughs> That's the second time like, I've heard it, and it, and it hurts. Like, wow. Yeah, and he, he's still coaching, so I commend and he, him. And he's still out there coaching. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he may be sitting on a bar stool screaming and yelling from one spot, but I respect the man for coming out and doing that's, what he's got to uh, do. That's it. commitment to, mm-hmm. to fight through that. I can't imagine. That's got to take a long time to heal, and that's got to be a lot of pain and discomfort to deal with on a daily basis, let alone coaching a bunch of teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, basically his entire pelvis is in a, in a big plastic cast, and uh, all the way down one leg, keep it completely straight. You know, James told me a couple pictures, and I commend the man. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then they played pretty well, too. I mean, like I said, Manistee was a very good team as well. T.C. Christian played pretty well in that game, uh, you know, especially, I mean, they have a goalie, uh, Thomas Hardy, who's playing goalie for them now, who... Uh, has basically only been playing soccer for about three weeks before the <laughs> season started, and then they made him a goalie. Uh, you know, so that situation's only going to get better as the season goes on. He made some pretty nice saves in that game, too. The The Manistee coach during the game was like, you know, who is this kid? <laughs> and, you know, so he made some, some nice uh, kind of just saves you don't necessarily see goalies in soccer making, more kind of hockey goalies, and he plays forward in hockey, not – not goalie, but I mean, you know, where you're just kind of just getting a hand on it and, and everything. So, you know, I think they'll get better at them from that standpoint as the season goes along and he gets more experience. And then uh, later in the week they went on, they tied Buckley, whose only loss is to, uh, to Leland. 
Yeah. You know, this season. To one loss, Leland. I think Leland has one loss. Yeah, so that was one of the one of the really good games. TC Christian came back and scored, you know, with only a f- you know a few minutes left in the second half to tie that game up and uh, and get the tie. So, yeah, things are looking up. All right, let's jump into a quick uh, football rankings update. James, looks like we've got quite a few teams at least cracking the lists, uh, you know, all the way from Division Two down to eight-player. Who, who's standing out right now three weeks into the season? Yeah, we've got nine of our area teams, you know, and we, we cover 30 high schools. That, Almost a third uh, of those are appearing in really the state good. rankings. And early, too. Usually, if you know, you and I both vote in these uh, week to week. Uh, we don't cover all divisions. There, there's, what, ten divisions now? Well, now we cover all divisions. Um, we do I've cover two. Yeah. Oh, you've got some now, too. He's okay. got seven, eight. So okay, we, so, him, we, vote so we, we vote in all eight polls now, and it feels like usually we don't really get to pump anybody into the standings until later in the season, you know, if somebody's finally out to like a 6-0, and 7-0 and start, not getting a lot of love up here. So to get nine schools in just three weeks in, and then, and this is the inaugural – yeah, the very that's first poll. The very first poll of the season. So that's a that's pretty good uh, recognition from, you know, the rest of the voters that maybe we did or didn't convince a little bit. Maybe they Well, I do want to mention, I mean, we didn't even have to do that much convincing because some of the teams who are showing up on this list have been traveling all across the state, three, four hour drives for their games over the first three weeks. That is true. So the coaches has... up here are they're they're taking their non conference schedule seriously and putting some real uh real tough teams on their plates early in the year and getting getting their players in front of eyes from people all over the state so what do we got james so in division two traverse city central is ranked number six in the state division three gaylord high school is honorable mention they're also yeah, they, the they've also blue devils the have had a really nice start to the year yeah they've started three and oh uh you know kingsley's three and oh they're number 10 in division five tim Moore probably definitely getting some love there probably, probably maybe, maybe. Probably yeah maybe. <laughs> Division two or Division six, we have two teams in there. Uh, Traverse City St. Francis is ranked second in the state, just behind Jackson Lumen Christie. I thought uh, they're just four votes behind, um, so so not all that much. Uh, and then Elk Rapids is an honorable mention. In there, there are after Elk three and all start and just decimating and, everybody. Yeah, they're they just play. destroying people. I mean, yeah. In Division seven, Man three also three and zero honorable mention team. Division eight, Johannesburg Lewiston. 3-0 start, they're number 10. And in 8-player, we have Onekama is ranked number 3 overall, and uh, Sutton's Bay is honorable mention, which essentially is, since they only rank 5 teams in 8-player, right, right. Uh, Sutton's Bay is essentially ranked number 7. Yeah, and the weird thing, too, is that it's 8-player across Division 1 and 2, so you might even get a mix in that top 5 uh, of teams that wouldn't even necessarily come across each other in postseason play. But I think Sutton's Bay and Onekam are both very deserving to be looked at as contenders this early in the year. You know, we thought Onekama last year was actually better than Central Lake before the Trojans went on to win the state championship and go thirteen and zero. But so maybe this year, this is you know, this is the Portagers uh, putting the rubber to the road and and doing what we thought they were going to do last year. Another interesting note. On that list of teams you just ran off, James, is there's a good number of first-year coaches on that list. Suttons Bay, Manton, Kingsley, and Gaylord, and Gaylord all, yeah. all with coaches in their first year uh, this season. So talk about turning teams around. And Ornekema and Elk Rapids are second-year coaches. I, I, me and James talked about this on the Get Around After Dark this past week. Uh, after seeing what I've seen from Ornekema and the 
the numbers that these teams are putting up. I mean, they've still only allowed like six points all season. I think I think their scoring differential is 156 to six through three weeks. Yeah, through three <laughs> weeks. Uh, so I, I definitely expect a lot out of the Portagers this year. Well, the other team I forgot in there is that uh, Frankfurt has also received votes in the Division Eight poll and is essentially they're three and zero. Yeah, but no, two, they're two one and two. Two, two and one. There were, the a lot, 10, there were a lot so. of questions about Frankfurt coming into this season. Really young group, lost, I mean, obviously their star player the last couple of years in Griffin Kelly. So, I mean, even mm-hmm. a 2-1 and one start, you got to look at pretty positively if you're head coach Matt Stapleton uh, in, in getting the this group prepared, you know, even if they weren't playing a lot last year or just getting them to believe at this point in the season. Oh, and they play Glen Lake this week, so yeah, they're they really going to have game. And and it hasn't been the the dominating 2-1 and one start that we're maybe used to Frankfurt seeing, oh. but, the, you know, but they're, they're clawing games out. That was the Bulletin Board, sponsored by Jimmy John's, two locations in Traverse City. Order a tasty sandwich today with the Jimmy John's app. As I mentioned at the top, Red Wings have been in town for their Prospects tournament, along with seven other NHL teams. Five. Five? Seven. Thanks a lot, Jake. Seven. That's why I'm in this chair. I'm trying to mess you (laughs) up, all right? I'm trying to get this job back. (laughs) With seven other NHL teams bringing their Prospects into town to battle it out in preseason action. You guys have both been over to center ice a little bit. Just give me one takeaway from what you've seen, what you've written so far, and then we're going to jump into our interview with George Malik. I would say that, uh, that Philip Zadina is, I think... Legit? Uh, is legit, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we were just watching him. You know, I was just watching him in practice the one day, and he just does... Impressive things with the puck. I mean, just just his control. I know it's only practice and everything, but you could just tell the difference between him and a lot of the other players in this in this practice. And they were going live with against goalies and stuff too. So he was just doing things. Oh yeah, he did. He just seemed way above everyone. What everybody else was doing. Quick Ah. quick follow up question: Have you have you had a chance to talk to Ken Holland or anybody about him? Because I just this makes me think back to a couple of years ago when they had just drafted Dylan Larkin, and anybody I talked to, it was like, no, there's no way he's going to make the team. He's a rookie. You can't expect this kind of stuff out of him. And to be honest with you, I don't necessarily remember Larkin making as much noise as Zadina appears to be making in this camp. Do you agree with that, and have they been trying to temper those expectations? They, they probably are. Yeah. Jake talked to, uh, Ryan to Ryan Martin, assistant general manager, about, about Zadina. So. Yeah, and a few other players. Uh, one big thing is, you know, this is, I mentioned that this, Zadina is the highest draft pick that the Red Wings have had in nearly 30 years, since 1990. Uh, Keith Primo went third overall then. Primo. Primo, Primo, Mu, Mu, Primo uh, went third overall in 1990. And, I mean, Red Wings fans, everybody's really hyped. There's people out there just looking to come and see just this kid. But, you know, I think the big thing about it is... It's, it's different than with Dylan Larkin, especially with the way that you just described it, that everybody was like, oh, he's not going to have he's not going to have the time. And especially with the way that they talk about Dylan Larkin in retrospect now and what he was like in the tournament, because, you know, they say, oh, he came and he, he, you know, he really turned some heads and he did that and he did that. But, you know, when I talked to assistant general manager Ryan Martin, he made it, you know, pretty clear that it's up to Zadina if he's going to make the team. He has the skills. They drafted him where they, where he, where they did because 
you know. So maybe they're down. not limiting the expectations it's as not. much as I they did with. I Larkin. wouldn't say it's limiting expectations. Like they're but, opening. They're leaving the door open because yes. I mean Holland was basically like, yeah, there's no way this yeah, kid's no, going to make the team. I can tell you, it's not even just with Zadina. And this is this is going to be my takeaway from camp in general. You know, I got a chance to speak with several of the prospects, and you know, luckily enough, a few of the ones who have who were described to me after the fact after I talked to them as the potential guys who they will be bringing up and. Uh, assistant GM Ryan Martin said the Red Wings are in a rebuild and there's no doubt about it they are willing to give young guys a shot like they weren't before when they were in the midst of a 25-year playoff run it wasn't so much about getting young guys in reps it was about winning games with superstars and veterans and everybody who they knew it was gonna be able to do now they know that they have a little bit more flexibility they know that they're going to be missing a few guys. They know that there's going to be a little bit more time and a little bit you know, less pressure in order to get young guys into the game and get them some NHL experience and really see what they're able to do, especially with Zadina. Dennis Chalowski, a defender, he had uh, two assists on Friday night, and even with the 2006, no, 2017 uh, first-round draft pick, Michael Rasmussen, uh, all three of those guys were described to me by Ryan Martin as having a very good shot of seeing uh, time with the Red Wings this season. Maybe not, you know, in four weeks on when I think they open on October 6th or October 7th. That might not be when you see them for the very first time, but he said that their flexibility is a lot greater this year with them being in a rebuild and being able to kind of tinker toy with putting people up, bringing people down, or even... You know, he said with Zadina specifically, you know, if Zadina can show that he belongs on the ice with NHL players during training camp and during the whatever four exhibition games they, they will probably have him play, then he will be there. And there's no doubt about it. If he earns his spot, he will be there. They're not tempering it. And they say, you know, if he needs some more seasoning in the AHL, they got lucky enough because he came over from the Czech Republic and started playing in juniors and with the Halifax Mooseheads last year. He... Normally, he's only 18 years old. He doesn't turn 19 until November. Normally, in that type of deal, he, if he was not deemed NHL ready by the end of training camp in four weeks, he, he would have to be sent back to juniors in Halifax. He would still be the Red Wings draft pick, but he would have to go back to juniors. But that's not the case with uh, Philip Zadina. He is being regarded as a European rules player. He is being filed underneath the European rules where... Even if he's not NHL ready at 18 years old, he can go to the Grand Rapids Griffins and play in the AHL until he's ready to go up to NHL. And, you know, Ryan Martin even mentioned a couple, a couple guys who are currently in the, in the NHL and the way that they have gone about being pulled up. And he said they're not opposed to pulling up Zadina or Chalowski or somebody halfway through the season and giving them half a year of ice time. And, you know, it just kind of depends on how the roster shakes out, but it's really up to Blaschel and Ken Holland. And that's kind of in direct contradiction to what the Red Wings model has been for the last two decades. Exactly. So, which is where you get drafted by the Red Wings, you're sitting in the minors for two, three, four years before they're seriously probably going to come up, bring you up and give you any playing time unless there's a massive rash of injuries or something. Yeah, and you can even look at some of the guys who are currently on the Red Wings, Red Wings roster who are, have been in that type of situation, even Anthony Mantha, you know, Anthony CU had to spend some time down. Even you know Dylan Larkin was probably the quickest one to make any type of waves from training camp or from prospect camp into the NHL. But even Zadina referenced. You know, I talked to him about Dylan Larkin, and he said, you know, he watched the way that Dylan Larkin played, and he he got a chance to skate with Dylan Larkin, which we'll talk a little bit uh, about in our interview. He got a chance to skate with Dylan Larkin, and the, that's the type of talent level that he feels he is on. He doesn't feel. I guess the best way I can give you this quote is uh, Philip Zadina 
told me he does not think he has to wait for anything. He does not think that he needs to spend any time in the AHL. He said that he knows he's how to He's confident. He's confident. And just like you'll hear our our guest George Malik say it's 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 a certain level of confidence, a certain level of arrogance. It's not where he says, you know, I need to be the number one forward or I'm going to score 50 goals or something. No, he goes He just knows he's good enough to belong. Exactly. And and I think this speaks volumes about him. Uh, Ryan Martin was very, you know, thrilled to hear that he had to say that to me. He told me that they love that attitude. They they do, they don't want somebody to think that they need to spend time in the AHL. They want them to push themselves that hard. So I think things are lining up very nicely for Philip Zadina, and I think you know there's a pretty high chance that he could be on the roster at least within the first month of the season. Well, the way the way it sounds, area Red Wings fans, if you haven't been to anything regarding the prospect tournament yet, or you're thinking about coming to training camp here coming up, this might be the best opportunity to see some young players in the making that there's ever been in the time that the Red Wings have been coming up here. So if you're a Red Wings fan, get out there, check them out. You get an up-close and personal look at, you know, perhaps the, the future stars of Detroit that may yeah, several may, of them. That, yeah, that may, may bring Detroit back to, to the postseason, maybe sooner rather than later. The other thing I th- I've noticed that the Red Wings have been doing a little differently in the last couple of years is bringing in some of these uh, – more fr- not necessarily fringe, but veteran NF- NHL players that are probably going to play in Grand Rapids, but guys who have played a long time. It, and I think part of that is to teach these young guys that are playing in Grand Rapids and to have a pipeline of dependable guys that if they have an injury, they can call up one of these guys who's played in the NHL for five or ten years and knows what he's doing rather than have to call up you know, a fourth-round pick you know, for two or three games to fill in for somebody. I mean, they just signed, uh, just a few minutes ago, they signed UC Jokinen, who's a guy who's <laughs> played four, 951 games and has 563 points in the NHL, and they just signed him to a, to a, like to a tryout. Yeah, like just like two minutes ago. While we were sitting in the studio? Yeah. Way to break that news, James. <laughs> that comes from George? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's welcome George Malik into the studio. Of course, he was here prior uh, with James and Jake for a sit-down interview, he covers the Red Wings for the Malik Report. If you haven't or aren't familiar with his work, check it out at themalikreport.com. That's M-A-L-I-K. We would like to welcome in George Malik of the Malik Report. He spends a lot of time around the team and is pretty tapped in. With the Detroit Red Wings organization, we are very happy to have him in the studio with us today, James. Um, I know there's plenty of questions for him about the entire Red Wings season, but just to get started off with, we've spent some time together here at the Prospect Tournament over the last weekend, and the season's just getting started up. So what's your mood for the beginning of the year, and you know, what do you see you know, coming out of this Prospect Camp and moving into next week for the Red Wings? I am as optimistic as I can possibly be, which is to say I'm really hoping that the the season doesn't suck. (laughs) I'm pretty sure most fans are going to stick around um, no matter what happens, but I'm sure beginning of the season is always a good time to see, you know, young guys, but even just to see how everything is going to shake out to begin with. But you've been in the locker room over the last few days. What young guys at this prospect tournament have kind of caught your eye so far? Well, the obvious names, you know, Dennis Chalowski, Philip Zadina, uh, Michael Rasmussen, uh, those guys have really stepped up. Philly Sarri, Arvey, the 
Slovak goalie that they brought in, Patrick Rebar, he's been quite good as well. There are a lot of questions as to whether Zadina and Rasmussen are NHL ready, and there are, I think that people are really excited just because the because of the Red Wings um, being able to draft so high over the the past year or two. They've they've got a bit of a better stable of prospects than they have in really a long time, and I would say that Rasmussen and Zadina look at least near NHL ready. Yeah, I was going to ask, for, for Zadina, where do you see him as far as the progression of like when a young Dylan Larkin came in the Prospects Tournament? Well, you know, I, I saw Zadina over the summer at the uh, summer development camp for a week, and so it's not just the two games. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, in terms of his skill level, he, he definitely could step into the lineup and score goals. Uh, in terms of actually playing against uh, other teams and, and playing against bigger, stronger men, you know, guys who are putting food on the table uh, versus uh, major junior hockey, uh, I would say that he's still got some bugs to work out. But there's still the rest of the prospect tournament and training camp to, for him to work those bugs out and to, to get to the NHL level. Skill-wise, he's there. The, in terms of uh, seasoning, he may need half a season in Grand Rapids, just to, to sort things out and, to, and to, to embrace that pro grind. But, you know, I, I would not be surprised if the Red Wings put him on the third line and see what he can do. Mm-hmm. So people that go to the Prospects tournament will be seeing him do all these skill things and be, like, thinking he's NHL-ready, but they haven't seen him go into the corners or try to hold his position out in front of the net or anything like that that uh, NHL players are going to have to do on a regular basis. It's, it's just a matter for, for Zadina of, of simplifying his game. He wants to do everything himself, and he wants to curl and drag. He wants to, to make, the, make the great drop pass and then get that one-timer to the net, which is how he scored that beautiful goal on, on Friday is he, he got that gorgeous one-timer off. But when, you, when you're a professional player, you don't have that extra half second. You don't have the time to, to make that that little drop pass. You have to put that puck on the net immediately, and it's just a matter of fine details for him. And for those of you who did not know, uh, Philip Zeno was drafted sixth overall in the 2018 draft by uh, the Detroit Red Wings, so he was the highest pick that the organization's had since 1990 when they had Keith Primu taken third overall. So, I mean, what type of hype have you seen just from the fans and even, you know, people that have come back and talked to you about your blog with what you've already talked about with Zadino? You've seen him for a couple months, and I've seen a couple of things you've written about him. What have you heard from the fans about what they are looking out of young prospects and how excited they are? I mean, there are people who think that that Zadina might be the next Marion Hossa. I mean, people, the expectation for Zadina is that he can score 20 to 25 goals in the National Hockey League. And some of the excitement is, holy crap, we got this player at sixth overall who was going to go second and says he's going to fill everybody's nets. Well, you know, that's tremendous and and that's what's going to happen immediately. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash the kid by any stretch of the imagination. I think that that a he is a tremendously talented player, and b he's a confident person in all the right ways. He's 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 a, he's a little arrogant in just the way that you want a professional athlete to mm-hmm. be a little arrogant. And uh, I I really do see him scoring 15 to 20 goals at least in the NHL. But the question is. You know, are, are we coming out of the prospect tournament and into main camp uh, with Sedina, you know, making a spot on the team? That's up to him. Yeah. And, and that, that's up to the organization. And, you know, I hate putting the brakes on, on the hype machine because it's, it's so exciting. To, it is exciting for me as, yeah. as, a, as a fan as much as anything to 
Epsodina and Rasmussen and, and, and that kind of um, stable of prospects, but it's up to him, and we're, we're, he's not getting a job today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think uh, Red Wings fans may be a little bit spoiled in that they, you know, the, the success that Larkin had with the being able to come in and step into the NHL lineup almost right away and be successful, and then kind of expecting, well, these guys were picked even higher. Yeah, you know, that's Mantha, exactly it. Mantha, Rasmussen, Medina, all, all picked even higher than, than Larkin was. Yeah, I, I can see that in a big way. Because, how do I want to put it? It's just because Larkin was just so freaking ready. I mean, he came out of Michigan. He played a couple games with the Griffins in the playoffs, and he just, there was there was no transition. As I said, you, you talk about time and space, you talk about playing against bigger and stronger uh People who are who are who are for whom this is a daily job, and 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 you talk about about the, the strength and conditioning. You talk about the attitude you'd, and and just the plain old experience of, of of being able to play against professional athletes. The jump from major junior to the AHL or NHL is probably a harder jump than the AHL to the NHL specifically. Uh, uh, Jeff Blashell will tell you that. Ken Holland will tell you that. Getting out from from playing against eighteen to twenty one year olds to playing against professional athletes, you know, um, it, it's just a, it's a tremendous jump. And if Sedina can can do that, which I think he can, all the more power to him. Who uh, who are some of the maybe kind of more under the radar guys in in prospects tournament that that people should be looking forward to, or that have kind of stepped out tournament so far and looked good. Well, there was the the bonus first draft pick, uh, Joe Valino, that the Red Wings got in the Thomas Tatar trade. He stepped into the first-line center spot to sort of free Michael Rasmussen to take his big 6'6 frame and go to the net. And Valeno, even though he's 18 and, and, and played for Drummondville in the Quebec League, he has played a very mature game and and physically is very mature as well. He's he's somebody to keep an eye on. There, there's somebody named Jerry McIsaac who played for Halifax in the queue. I've been impressed with his subtleties. He's, he's a, a young player who just seems to make the right play the vast majority of the time. And players like that are very hard to find at 18, 19 years of age. So, you know, he's somebody to watch as well. And Giovanni Smith, even though he's going to play in Grand Rapids this year as an energy forward, he's extra, extremely fun to watch. Um, he's somebody who's going to Yo, the uh, opposition players. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's somebody who is is going to grind and give, give the team a, a real edge. And and I think that that if you're looking at looking at a sort of a a, a Kirk Maltby type player in the making, that Giovanni Smith is there. But really, it, it's it, it's Zadina, it's Rasmussen. Chalowski, you know, Dennis Chalowski has, has made so many physical strides over the last two years. He he looks nearly NHL ready. The same is is is, clo- is uh, true for Billy Seriarvi, although he's a smaller player at five ten. And the big Slovak goalie that they brought in, Patrick Rebar, I've been really impressed with him. He plays a very mature game, um, and even though that he's coming over from the Czech League and. Um, is playing at an 85-foot wide rink, which is the NHL standard, as opposed to 100 feet wide in, in international hockey. There have been no issues. He had a little hole on, on his blocker side in the first goal he gave up on Friday, and that hole went away, and that's impressive to see. Now, I know I talked to Jared McIsaac uh, just yesterday, and he was 
telling me that's kind of like what he likes to do is have that subtlety in his game where he just wants to make sure that he's doing the right thing for his team. Yeah, he had a goal, uh, if I'm not mistaken, on yeah. Friday, the second goal after Zadina. Um, and Chilowski, you mentioned, he had both of those assists on Friday. So there's been production out of these guys that you're mentioning here. Looking towards training camp and coming into the beginning of the regular season for you know the, the rest of the Red Wings, um, we know that Captain Henrik Zetterberg is going to be dealing with a back injury the majority of the season, if not the entire season. It's kind of up in the air. Um, how do you see that affecting the Red Wings You know, in this rebuild situation that they're in already? Well, Zetterberg was their number one center, you know, even though he wasn't practicing for half the year. And as it turns out, Nicholas Cronwell said he was having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. He was probably the Red Wings' best player. He was their leading scorer. Without him, there's a huge hole at center. And obviously that's where you look at Dylan Larkin, you look at Franz Nielsen, you looked at, at, a, at a fan favorite in Andreas Athanasiu, um, and then players like Luke and Glenn Denning, they're definitely going to have to step up in a big way to fill the hole at center. But, you know, overall, the Red Wings, they have a decent forward core. You have Anthony Mantha continuing to improve. They brought back Thomas Vanek, who is a, a sure bet for 15 goals. But the defense is the exact same defense that it was last season. Uh, the goaltending isn't necessarily better with Jimmy Howard and, and now Jonathan Bernier in the net. And um, that's those are concerns. I'll grant you that just about everybody on the team had an off year last year, and that that the the sort of the convocation of not so great seasons, not so great play, and the snowball effect thereof uh, yielded a, a very disappointing finish. But it's going to have to. A lot of things are going to have to go right for the Red Wings to make the playoffs this season. I, I hate to say that so early. But, you know, this is, they're playing in an extremely competitive division, and it's a divisional playoff format, so we shall see. You know, nobody's coming into the season saying, I don't think we can make the playoffs. We're, we're in a rebuild. You know, shrug your shoulders, and, and, and in December it's going to be pretty hard, but, but still come to the rink, please. You yeah. Know, you know, there's still a lot of pride, and there's still a lot of self-belief, which, again, if you have a little ego when you're an, when a professional athlete, that's a good thing. You, you want these people to believe, you know, but, but the, the different, the gulf between belief and the talent level is, is, is at a level that we're not familiar with as Red Wings fans. With facing the prospect of, uh, of playing this season without Henrik Zetterberg, where do they go for a captain? The... Intonations this season, uh, at least from from what the beat writers are saying and and what it sounds like in the room, is that they're going to go with with three alternates. They're going to go with with uh, with with applicator Cronwall and probably Larkin with an A on his sweater. Um, I'm assuming that at some point Larkin is going to be named the captain. That they're not going to go to applicator. That they're not going to go to Cronwall for like like say, okay, this is your last season. Can you wear the C and, and give Larkin uh, another year to transition into that role? I think that Larkin, uh, in terms of his maturity, uh, both on the ice and off the ice, is more than ready. I mean, the kid is a rink rat. You know, like he, he, he skated with the summer with the prospects at the summer camp for a week. He, he goes to the gym. He has a hockey school. He organized something called the Stars and Stripes Showdown, which was a... Um, tribute game to the late director of the USA Hockey, and everybody from Austin Matthews to Patrick Kane showed up, and this was just 
just a lark, pardon the term, that, that Larkin had at the World Championships, that maybe we can do this. And, you know, they had something like 16 or 17 first-round picks, and it was just the, it was the all-star of all-stars. And he just does this. He, he's one of those organized people, one of those rink rats, and one of those people organizers that you need to be when you're a captain of a team. So I think that that when he's ready, when when the Wings decide to make him captain, even if it is this season, he'll be ready for it. I mean, the comparisons to Steve Eiserman are kind of already there for him. Yeah. And if he then assumes the captaincy fairly young, at a fairly young age in his career, I think that even puts him more on that path. Like that, people are just going to have those kind of Steve Eiserman type comparisons constantly on him. Sure, sure, but again. If you want an Eiserman-like comparison, Eiserman would always say that the most pressure that he had felt was the pressure on himself. And I think that Larkin is, is the same type of player. He's like a like a lot like Nick Lidstrom in that in that sense, a lot like Henrik Zetterberg in that sense, in that he'd be a lot less worried about the pressure that that, that comes from him that comes to him from the outside, uh, as opposed to the pressure to perform that 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 comes from his heart. And that's where that's another quality that you really want in a captain is is somebody who is a self motivator. I did want to talk about the Red Wings coach uh, just a little while. You you've been around the team and in this rebuild, how do you expect Jeff Blashill to play this season? And you know, without a captain, what what type of um, attitude do you see coming out of the Red Wings from game one? The players and the coach are pretty much on the same page. He's still going to try to win. He's still going to try to win games. He He's not going to worry about the players that he doesn't have. Blashill is a lot like Mike Babcock in that he says, if I don't have a player, I don't worry about him. It's as if he's not on the team. He's just not available. No big deal. This is uh, who I've got, and I'm going to do the best with who I've got on the ice. And it's his job. People kind of hate this, when, especially when late in the year last year when the Red Wings were as much angling for a high draft spot as anything. They were like, oh, come on, you can tank. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with, with throwing this game against Arizona in late March. You know, come on, Blash. It's, it's, it's a rebuilding year, and, and we want to get the number one overall pick, especially with this year with Dolan. You know, we want to get Rasmus Dolan. But you're not an NHL coach if you don't go out there to win. I don't, I don't think the organization would want to pay him if he had any other attitude, even in those certain types of games. Yeah, yeah. So that, that late March game against Arizona may, may be a, a battle for a first, first overall draft pick again, but don't expect the Red Wings coach to do anything less than try and win that game and try and win that game by a large margin. Considering the rebuild that the Red Wings are going through, is the criticism of Blash Hill fair or not fair? You know, I know he's taken a lot of heat from people social media and online and everything but but how how much of that is how much of that is actually I think part of it is 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 fair because a the Red Wings record this is always going to be a team that has fans with high expectations and the Red Wings record hasn't been good enough but b uh, although he is a very good coach and a very uh, hell, hell of a guy uh, he's not Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock was his coaching, as far as I'm concerned, is a coaching superstar. Um, you know, maybe not not the the greatest Hall of Fame coach of all time, but somebody. If we were going to do a player, uh, 
you know, a lot definitely on the level of a Zetterberg or 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 maybe even a Lidstrom. Whereas, you know, Blashell came up from the Griffins and is doing and and is on his he's on his first job in the NHL. Uh, we we tend to forget that when we talk about him as a possible, uh, you know, someone who can bring the Wings back to the promised land. And there have been hiccups. There have been a lot of turnover in terms of the assistant coaches. And um, I think that getting a consistent bench message and getting consistent performance out of the, out of a rebuilding team is a lot harder than we assume. We did want to take a chance to talk about you know your blog, the Malik Report, and what you've done with the Red Wings over the last number of years. So, how long have you been following the organization this closely, and exactly what uh, type of things do you do on the Malik Report? To be honest with you, I really started following this organization closely in. About 1999-2000, I uh, worked on mes- a message board, and I was having some health issues in college, and it was a way to feel useful. And I just got into it, and I was a total overachiever, and I was following every story uh, in a very different era, without Google, without Twitter, and I, I, I stuck with it. And in 2006, MLive gave me the chance to work on their Snapshots blog, and I did that for a couple of years. I moved on to Kukla's Corner, where Paul Kukla gave me a tremendous opportunity to work on a, a big-time website. And through Hook and by Cork, the long story short is now I'm doing my own independent blog. I'm trying very hard to go with a commercial-free subscriber-type model. It's going okay. It, there are a lot of growing pains right now, but 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 trying to be consistent and trying to put put good stuff out there is 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 the goal. I follow the Red Wings beat writers as best as I can. I get to the games that I'm able to get to, and I I do a lot of I follow the prospects a lot as well. So I end up going to Griffin's games and going around and being able to. Um, Track the guys as they as they go to the NHL. That's a big part of what I do, and my readers have been tremendously generous in in supporting me as I come up here to Traverse City. They're the ones that have fit the bill, and that is an amazing relationship to have. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I've I've followed just like your work for years during training camp and and what you can what you do during training camp and prospects tournament and development camp and everything. I mean, just I think it just kind of dwarfs what a lot of other people who cover the Red Wings full-time well, produce out there. I mean, it's a little different format and all that, but, I mean, you just are constantly churning stuff out. I have all the respect in the world for, for the beat writers. You know, they, they have a, a tremendously hard job to put out content on a deadline and to put out content day after day after day. But to them, the story, the quote... That, that's what they're going after. That's what they're trained to do, and, and they do a tremendous job of it. For me, it's it's sort of looking at the players. It's looking at the process, as Jeff Plashow would like to say. Um, it, it's trying to go behind the scenes just a little bit and, and give more of a, a fan perspective and, and the type of stuff that, 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 that the people who read my blog have said that they're interested in. I, I, I like to say that what I do is... Comp, is um, complementary to the media, to the mainstream media. It, they do something that I follow and I put out on my blog as, as hey, this is what they're doing and you need to pay, pay attention to this. And then I do my own thing. And 
it gives us it gives fans a great perspective, uh, a broader spectrum of of material. I mean, and you do other things too. I mean, where you find other things that are going on in the league and relate them as to how they might how they're related to Detroit or how this yeah. might affect things. Or you follow a lot of former Red Wings and what they're doing now, and, and a lot of a lot of that kind of back and forth with the rest of the league too. So the again, like I said, so that it, so that it complements what the beat writers are doing, it complements what the team writers and what the team is putting out. Um, that that you, that you get a, a broader picture. I think that that that's important to not just focus on the quote, not just focus on what what the day's scuttlebutt is, but but to 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 look around and and, and see the broader picture. Not just the scrum. Yeah, the scrums are great. I, I, I love I love the scrums, but uh, you know I I got to talk to I'm a go I grew up playing uh, forward and then goal, and I got to talk to Caden Fulter about breaking in his pads today, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, got to talk to Cole Frazier. Um, you know, we're recording this obviously on a Monday afternoon, and Cole Frazier was a, a scratch in the is going to be a scratch for today's game against the um, against the Rangers and. You know, Frazier was able to say to me, "You know, I'm making the best of a of a blanky situation." And, and and you know, he looked he looked over at the PR guy, and the PR guy looked over at him, and we were like, "No, it's okay." You know, yeah. be a human being. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and and that's where I guess I would say that 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 the, I, I try to have a bit of a hybrid perspective, where I try and when I watch the games, I try and be as detached as, as humanly possible, and I try to be as professional as humanly possible. Try and be professional all the dang time, but I, I'm also a fan, and that that's a neat thing to be as a blogger. Is you can you can be a professional and you can be a fan. You can be somewhere in the middle. Um, do you have anything else? Well, there's there's a, there's always the plug. There's the self plug. It's oh, it's, go for it. it's the Malik M A L I K report dot com. That's my website. We're working on a design and we're working on a logo. It was more important to get the content out first, but uh, so the, so prettier prettier things are coming than the regular WordPress website. Uh, Twitter, it's at George Malik M A L I K. Real simple. I I I tweet a lot. I post a lot of stuff and I just work hard it's I'm like I said I feel at the end I'm just trying to be another fan who's who's facilitating content and putting out uh, my own content as well so it, it works you know even during the off season when there's not a whole lot going on you're the still off-season you're is, still constantly churning stuff out and and that's where the off season it's become a it's become a 24 hour day 365 day a year job uh, mm-hmm. there's there's always stuff and if there's not stuff in English there's stuff in Swedish or there's stuff in Czech and you know I'm I, I, I studied enough German in high school that I'm fairly good with the Swedish and understanding the idioms and all of that so with the Zetterberg story you know from when when that first broke I spent the vast majority of my summer you know the first thing I do when I got on the computer is I go to Afton Blade it or Expressen which are the two big Swedish dailies and I'd look for news, and eventually, you know, it came through Nicholas Cronwell talking about uh, Zetterberg and, and being as protective as he could, but saying, you know, things are not doing great. And then it came from Zetterberg himself saying some stuff to this, the, the media that, that, that he didn't say in, in English and being able mm-hmm. to, 
again, being able to facilitate that content to, to fans gives you a broader perspective and a bigger picture. Once again, we would like to thank you, George, for coming on in and joining us here at the Record Eagle and talking a lot of Red Wings today. Uh, you know, training camp starts the beginning of this weekend coming up. So up in Traverse City, still some very exciting times for the Red Wings. But once again, go check out George's blog at themalikreport.com. Go check that out for a bunch of coverage uh, from the Red Wings going forward. And once again, thank you for joining us here today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. A big thank you to the Malik Report's George Malik for joining us in studio at the Record Eagle to talk about the Red Wings and their visit for the Prospect Tournament and upcoming training camp. His interview was sponsored by Jimmy John's, two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's spends six hours slicing and baking every day to make you a 30-second sandwich. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's, freak yeah. So let's jump into the Hall of Fame, gentlemen. We've got a couple of fall athletes already on our big board from the first two weeks or so of the fall season. You've got Aaron Powers from Onekama and Danny Passanel from Traverse City St. Francis, a couple of football players. Of course, we're not just focused on football, folks. There are other sports out there that warrant our attention, so we'll see who gets in today. Jake? I'm just going to contradict everything I just said because yeah. I think I you got a football, football player. But I do, but it was just a standout performance. Reese Hazelton stepped in for Glenn Lake at quarterback after Joy Fosmore went out with an injury. Took Glenn Lake to their first win, uh, big win, you know, scored over 50, or it was 48 points. Against Mancelona. He had three rushing touchdowns, two passing touchdowns, including a rush down, touchdown over 50 yards. So he definitely helped Glenn Lake, you know, kind of get over that. 0-2 hump. I know they wasn't quite the opponent on the other two teams, but I think the entire community will be happy with you know Hazelton stepping in for Fosmore and giving them that W. Yeah, of course, a, a star on the basketball team, but the backup quarterback on the football team. Any way you get that first win on the season, that's a that's a big monkey off your back. James, I think you're also going to contradict what I just said, but what have you got? Yeah, probably. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah, Trevor Solani from Manton. Um, he ran for 107 rushing yards, uh, had three touchdowns on the ground, also had 48 yards receiving, and made 16 tackles on defense. They, they're in the AP poll and the HM list, uh, so they're opening some eyes around the state. I mean, a win over Beale City does that. I mean, this is the first time they beat Beale City in, I can't remember what it was, like 1982 or something like that, I think was the last time they beat Beale City. So that was a big win last week. All right, I'm not going to contradict myself, and I'm going to – Make my player of the week, Traverse City Central outside hitter Maggie McCrary, who had 16 kills and nine digs in the three-set sweep over Traverse City West. Uh, We talked about it earlier, Traverse City Central's first volleyball win over the Titans in at least eight years. And 16 kills in three sets, that's, that's that's pretty ridiculous. That's almost a whole game for your team. Yes. Not quite, but almost. So that's who I'm going to put up. Before I kick it over to you guys, I'm just going to go out and say that that's where my vote is going. So I just need one of you guys to jump on board. and I'm on board. You're on board? Yeah. I'm still taking I... Hazleton. All right. That, that's fair. That's a... just, just, just The only reason I'm taking Hazleton is because it's a step-in performance that really, really shined. So He was a lot better than Deshaun Kaiser on Sunday night. We'll put <laughs> it that Packers. way. <laughs> yeah, and Maggie McCurry is, I mean, impressive in that she's... Just starting her junior year, she's already committed to a Division One 
college. Miami, Ohio. Miami, Ohio. She's going there with Molly Mirabelli and uh, five others. other players, I think, from that club team that, that they're on. Um, but, I mean, just to already be a Division One athlete, I mean, she committed a ways back, too, uh, at, at the Division One level this early on. Says a lot. Um, you know, she plays all the way around. They don't sub her out, so she plays the back row when she – when she rotates around too, um, and Hence all know, those digs, and not a lot of yeah, not a lot of outside hitters do that. I mean, that's why you have your libero. So, and she's kind of playing a different position than she plays for her club team, and was and is going to play in college too. I mean, she's playing outside hitter, whereas she's a middle blocker for a club team, and that's what she's going to be in college. Yeah, a lot of versatility. All right, well, that's two to one. So Maggie McCrary is our Hall of Fame inductee in our third rendition of the fall season. Congrats, Maggie. And uh, we look forward to seeing how you and the Trojans continue to play going forward this season. And adding you to our now ongoing list of Hall of Famers that's hung up in the podcast studio. Big board number two. Big board number one's for the interview autographs, and big board number two is to make sure we don't give anybody the award twice because we're a bunch of bumbling idiots. But the Get Around Hall of Fame was sponsored by Jimmy John's. Two locations in T.C. At Jimmy John's, they're freaks about fresh bread, meats, and veggies because that means better sandwiches for all. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's. Freak yeah. So let's jump into the trifecta, boys. We will wrap this one up kind of where we started with the Patriot Week. The countdown is on. The excitement is already building. We're trying to get the heck out of this studio, Jake, so we can make it to practice and talk to some of these guys on the first day of game week and we're going to stray a little bit from our typical trifecta format and we're just going to go with straight up predictions for this game you know we talked about Traverse City Central being 3-0 Traverse City West being 1-2 does that mean the Trojans are going to win Friday night I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that means a darn thing we've seen it too many times get screwed up in this rivalry so uh, you know, and we've we've only seen each of these teams play once, so our firsthand experience is kind of limited, more so than maybe what it's been the last couple of years. I feel like at least one of these teams we've seen uh, maybe a couple times before this game. But James, you're you're the the most veteran. You've seen oh. every Patriot game there has been. We got. <laughs> I'll I'll die. Yeah, I'll dive in first. I'll I'll be the martyr. Uh, I I will take Traverse City Central. 20 to 17 with lots of field goals. Lots of field goals. Field goals this game. That's why it's 20 to 17. It's not all touchdowns. I think this is going to be the kind of game where uh, both of these defenses are good enough that when the offense has that chance to get in the the red zone, um, you're not going to be going for it on fourth down. You're going to take those three points and take that field goal. Um, So I think you're going to see that maybe a little bit more than normal out of these coaches. All right. I'll leave Jake to last since he's yet to experience the T.C. Patriot game firsthand. I, too, am going to go with Traverse City Central. I love what they've done to start this season. As great as Tobin Schwanke has been as the leader of that Trojans offense, the defense has been phenomenal. 17 points in three games, and I just have a, I have a feeling that that defense is going gonna, is gonna to grab a score off of West on Friday, and I think that'll be the difference. Uh, for a score, I, I, I mean, James, you didn't go high scoring. I think it's going to be fairly low scoring as well, the way both of these defenses have been showing. And, you know, other than that other than that game last year, these matchups lately have seemed to be pretty low scoring. So I'm going to go 
1710 Central. Now, with me being last, uh, I definitely think uh, Traverse City West has a really good chance to pull this out, honestly, with their defense. Like I said, they have held all of their opponents to 15 points or less uh, this entire season. A bunch of big, big schools, uh, high-powered people. And I think that the momentum from this week really kind of lights a fire underneath the Titans and gives them a better shot than most people will give them against a good Traverse City Central team. I'm not going to say that Traverse City Central has regressed offensively since the beginning of the year, but, you know, they started out with, you know, 48, went down to whatever, 35, now regressed all the way down to 14. And I think that Traverse City West will be the best defense that they play against. And if Traverse City West's offense can even score one touchdown, I, I'm going to give this to West. I think there's going to be a special teams touchdown, uh, either punt return, kick return, uh, something on that West side with some speed coming off the back end. And uh, it's going to be a game of mistakes. I think I'm, I'm going to keep it even lower scoring than you guys, and I'm actually going to go with a 13-10 to 10 win for Traverse City West. I think Traverse City West hits a couple, maybe a couple field goals. I know Coach Vaughn hasn't been too fond of trying to kick it up there yet, but like James said, this is a game where you take the points whenever you can get it. And, and here you're going to be on the turf. Yeah, a little bit. You know, I haven't looked at the forecast yet, but I think the weather is supposed to still be pretty decent come Friday. So, you know, you might have some good conditions, more optimal for the kicking game here before it starts to get too cold outside. Um, but definitely a battle of the defenses. I think that's what this, this game. I know Tobin Schwanicki is probably the most highest, the highest powered offensive player in on either one of these teams so far this year. But that Trevor City West defense has done a stellar job of holding anybody they've played pretty pretty well off. Yeah, and I think. You know, I don't, I, it'll probably surprise exactly zero people if West wins this game. Oh yeah, it wouldn't. I mean, it would not surprise me at all. There, you, you, it's so cliche, and we talk about it every time these these teams play, whether it's basketball or football. It doesn't matter what the records are; it's almost certainly going to be a close game, and anybody can win it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do, I do like the fact. One of the things I think that is in West's favor is that they have played three close games. They've been they've been challenged. And they've played in games where the starters and the regulars have had to play the entire time, and they're going to be ready. Whereas Central's played two blowouts. Last week's game against South Line East was, I think, a, a really important well, thing for them to, for that game to be close because having, coming into a game like this, if they had played three blowouts, that would kind of be bad. Yeah, and I mean, Coach Vaughn told me at the very beginning of the season that first game against Midland when they won seventeen to fifteen, he said. You know, our guys have been in a lot of close games. I don't know if you can get used to it, but this is a good way to get started, and I think they've kind of taken that to heart over the last couple of weeks because, like you even said, with South Line against Central, you know, Holt returned a kick on Traverse City West, and that's what they ended up losing on. So, you know, it wasn't their defense that did it. I think, I think these guys are going to be able to hold it to a pretty close game. Well, and the thing is, even, you know, if you're the Titans, you can't hang your head at all at one and two. You win this game, and your entire season is completely restored as if, these first, as if these last two weeks didn't happen. That's three non-conference games, so you haven't even gotten into the conference schedule yet. If you start off one and zero against the favorite to win the conference, shoot, you're just getting started. Right. So I'm pumped. Jake's pumped. James, I know you probably won't be there for the entire game, but I'm sure you'll make your way over to Thurlby for a. Oh, we try to. Brendan's gonna go. Viewing. Brendan's, Brendan's gonna, gonna go. Brendan's gonna go mooch off the food upstairs, probably. And then go down. Yeah, he's gonna go down the sideline. He's gonna do some tweeting from the sideline. So uh, that'll be part of the live blog. Um, well, a photographer there. I don't know if we'll have any any web special video stuff going on. I don't know. We haven't gotten that detail. Completely out yet. everything. But we have uh, we have had that in the past. So 
We'll, we'll, as I said before, bunch of coverage over the course of the uh, of this week leading up to Friday. Tons of coverage Friday night. Saturday's paper is going to be just loaded with stuff from the game, so make sure you keep an eye on recordeagle.com for anything Patriot game related or anything else in the northern Michigan sports world. I got one thing to throw in, too. Oh, real quick. James, you got one more thing to throw in? Yeah, your, your, your weather report brought to you by Jimmy John's. Is uh, that it's supposed to be a high 80, a low of 59 with a 10% chance of rain Friday night. Oh, that's going to be a beautiful, beautiful setting because it's not going to be 80 at, at, at that time anymore, no, is it? No, no. You'll be mid-60s. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be, oh, yeah, perfect. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Perfect week for me to come back and start pitching in again. <laughs> All right, this has been episode 48 of the Get Around Podcast. Thank you, all of our wonderful Audible viewers, including Harrison Beebe, who I know is listening. We appreciate you. Hope you come back next week. Stay tuned for all our coverage. Have a good one.